Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Well, this morning we are diving back into our study in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. We have an interesting scenario. The title of the message this morning is Deacons, the Solution to a Problem, and all of them are sitting on the front row. I promise this was not planned ahead of time, all right? Um, They're going to be serving the Lord's Supper here in a little bit, and so we appreciate their ministry and their serving. But the next passage that we are dealing with does deal, I believe, with deacons, and so that is what we're going to look at. Now, next Sunday is going to be a special Sunday, wrapping up VBS. The whole service that morning is going to be focused on our children's ministry and what our goals and vision is for our children's ministry, and I know we're going to have a lot here coming to sing some of the theme songs from VBS, so that'll be your special music next week, Um, and so I encourage you to be back next week. The message this morning from Acts chapter 6 helps us in a couple of different ways. All right. First of all, just from a general church perspective, it helps us kind of understand why um, God has called certain people in the church to do certain things. And secondly, it helps us understand why the office of deacon was instituted, why it began. Now, you may be thinking, I don't care about why we have deacons. I mean, not that you don't care about our deacons. They do care about you, I promise. But why do we care about what deacons are supposed to do. Why do we care what the Bible has to say about them? And I would suggest that it matters because it contributes to the life and the health of the church. And so no matter what we are doing as a body of believers, no matter what we are doing as a church family, our question should be, how does the Bible speak to this? How does the Bible guide our understanding of this? And not just our understanding of this, but our practice of this as well. And so this passage Acts chapter 6, really verse 1 through verse 7, we're going to look at all seven verses. Verse 1 through verse 7 is where the office of deacon, I believe, was first instituted. We don't see it previous to this, and this is where I believe it began. Paul fleshes it out a little bit more in Timothy and in Titus a little bit later in the New Testament. But this is where the office of deacon kind of got its starting point. This is where it began. If you have your bulletin on the back, you'll notice an outline. I'm going to go through some of these points rather quickly, and you'll see kind of a couple sections. First of all, the, the general church application from this text, and then specifically why the church instituted deacons here in Acts chapter 6. If you're taking notes, here's number one. Understand that Satan will attack churches from without and from within. We've already seen this a few times in the book of Acts. Peter and John specifically are preaching the gospel. We've already seen them arrested, right? If you've been here, you've seen us talk about them being arrested. They've been tortured. They've been questioned. They've been on trial. They've been threatened simply because they are proclaiming the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That pressure, that opposition, that persecution is coming from outside of the church. And many times, Satan will try to attack a church and hinder the unity of the church and attack the mission of the church by helping and encouraging and working through external circumstances. What we see happening here in the passage that Pastor Jason just read is the perfect scenario for strife to begin within the church. If you were paying attention as he was reading, you'll notice that there were two different groups within the church, the Hebraic Jews and the Greek Jews. 
And what was happening is the church was growing so rapidly that some of the people were being neglected in the daily distribution, in the benevolence ministry, in, in the care ministry, in the, in the visitation ministry, so to speak. And as this problem was arising, they faced kind of this crucial moment to where this issue could either be resolved or this issue could create this great strife and conflict and division in the church. One of the things I think we have to acknowledge is that as we are moving forward as a church and as we are committed to doing what God has called us to do, being what God has called us to be, we have to acknowledge that Satan will attack. The only church Satan doesn't attack is the church that is not furthering the kingdom of God. If we are committed to furthering the kingdom of God, Satan will attack that church. Sometimes those attacks will be external. Sometimes things will come that provide pressure from the outside, but there are those situations that arise within a church that have the potential to be devastating for the church if it is not dealt with and handled correctly. Satan loves to take little things in a church and blow it up to hinder the unity of the church. Satan loves to take issues among people and issues about, I mean, you think about this situation here in Acts chapter 6. I mean, it would be very easy for some people to sit back and say, you know what, I'm, not being, I'm being overlooked, I'm not getting what they are getting, I want everybody to know about it, and it could have blown up into this huge mess. We've never, we've never seen that happen, right? It never happens in churches. But it should be a reminder that Satan always wants to attack the church that is on mission, We have to be on guard from those attacks that are externally focused and those attacks that are internally focused. Be ready for that. Number two, churches will naturally have challenges that arise. Churches will naturally have challenges that arise. This challenge that we see in Acts chapter 6 in our text is, is not the result of sin, This challenge that is arising is not the result of bad decisions. It's not the result even of something wrong that has taken place. This is just a natural challenge that is the result of growth. It is a challenge that is the result of ministering to people and reaching out to people of other backgrounds. And it's a result of seeing people saved and seeing lives changed. It's a natural challenge. Some challenges that we will face as a church are just natural Just because we face a challenge, it does not necessarily mean that something wrong has happened or that there is sin creeping in. Sometimes challenges happen simply because we are doing what God has called us to do. And let me just go ahead and warn you, as we reach people and as we see people of other backgrounds coming in and being a part of our body of believers here and as we see lives changed and addictions broken and as we see all of these things happening and people's lives being transformed by the gospel and people saved and people baptized, there will be challenges that arise. And that's natural. The only way that those challenges can hinder the ministry of the church is when those challenges are allowed to destroy the unity of the church. And so we understand just because there are challenges doesn't mean something wrong has happened. We have to be prepared for it. Number three, Churches should seek to help those in need within their church. If you look at verse 3 in our text, it says this, Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. What duty? The duty of reaching out and ministering to those within the congregation who have needs, who need to be visited, who are in need of benevolence, who are in need of care. See, churches should want 
to help those within their congregation. And certainly the Bible talks about helping those outside the congregation, but so far in the book of Acts, the entire focus of benevolence and helping and giving has been internally helping those within the congregation. We should want to help those in need. We have people who have needs, and as we move forward, we will have people come and be a part of our church who they have serious needs, and we as a church should seek to help them. We should want to help them. We should want to minister to them. If we ever get to the place where we no longer care about each other, we are in trouble. See, helping each other with needs that we have is part of what it means to be a church family. It's part of what it means to live in community with each other. We should strive to help each other within the church. This was the example of the early church. We've seen it already, Acts 2, Acts 3. But this example is an example that is to be followed. And so let me challenge you with something we said a few weeks ago. Don't just sit back and say, well, our church has a benevolence budget. That's good enough. You can't outsource your personal responsibility in this. You have to care about each other. You have to be concerned about each other. What our church does in meeting each other's needs should flow from a genuine love and a genuine concern and a genuine desire to see each other helped with whatever need may arise. We should love each other enough to where we are willing to sacrifice to help those people with their needs. Again, this is an example of the early church. This is an example that we should follow. Number four, this is where We'll spend the remainder of our time. The office of deacon was established for specific reasons. All right, the office of deacon was established for specific reasons. And as we see this need arising in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1 through verse 7, this potential conflict, this potential mission-destroying conflict, we see that there is a need for a group of people, a body, an office of people to meet that need, to, to address that need. We, we see how the church responds here. And again, this matters because it contributes to the health and to the mission of the church. So why was the office of deacon established? I want to give you five things. All right, here's the first one. A, to help protect the unity of the church. Again, the context of this passage is that this need is arising, this potential conflict is arising. It can either The church could either respond in a way that says, you know what, we're not going to worry about it, and that would grow and explode and destroy the unity and hinder the mission and hinder the purpose of the church, or they could respond in a way that says, we care about the health of our church, and we want to protect the unity of the church. And so they instituted the office of deacon. One of the responsibilities, we'll see the service responsibility in a moment, but one of the byproducts of that service is that deacons are responsible to help protect the unity of the church. The response was the apostles was to establish this body, this group of men who could, through their service, protect the unity in the congregation. As a side note, let me just say that I'm thankful that we have deacons who, rather than being the source of conflict, are unifying. There are churches where deacons cause the problems. Y'all never seen that, have you? I'm thankful that we have a church where that is not the case, where these men care and love about our church and protect the unity of this church. We should be thankful for them and for that fact. Let me give you the second reason the office of deacon was instituted, to serve those in the church. Look at verse 2, then those 
Then the twelve summoned the whole company, meaning the whole congregation, and said, It would not be right for us to give up the preaching about God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. Deacons exist to serve. In fact, the Greek word for deacon in the New Testament is the exact same Greek word as the word for the word servant. The very definition, if you were to look up the definition of this word, it means to serve. Serve who? Well, serve those in the church. See, the problem that was arising is that there were people in the church, widows, the sick, the shut-ins, who needed help, who needed assistance, who needed guidance. The deacons were the ones who were tasked with overseeing and completing that aspect of ministry. And here's an important point that we have to understand Deacons do not primarily serve the church from a conference room. Deacons primarily serve the church by being with the people of the church. Certainly, we value the input we have from our deacons, but deacons are to serve. They're to be involved in the lives of other people. Why? Well, let me give you C. Another reason the office of deacon was instituted is to protect pastors from becoming overburdened. Look at verse 2 again. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. See, when the first church was first formed, the leaders of the church, the pastors, the apostles, they were doing everything. They were preaching. They were praying. They were handing benevolence. They were doing all the visiting. But as the church grew, naturally, they could no longer handle the load of everything. In their efforts to try to do everything, people were neglected. They were beginning to become overburdened in their effort to do everything and accomplish everything. The solution was to institute the office of deacon so that the pastors could be protected from becoming overburdened. A couple things I think we need to acknowledge from this. One, pastors can't do everything. Come on, amen or something. (laughs) Pastors can't do everything, nor should they. If you are relying on, your, on the pastor to do everything, you, this church will never grow beyond what my capabilities are, and they are limited. I'll go ahead and tell you. I cannot do everything. Secondly, there are times in the life of a church where their structure has to be altered to better accomplish the mission. See, just because a certain structure worked at one point in the life of the church is no guarantee that a structure will work Later in the life of the church, in Acts chapter 6, at the very beginning of the church, Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5, they had this structure. The pastors were doing everything. As the church grew, that became unrealistic. So what was their response? Their response was to adjust, to alter what they were doing a little bit, not just for the sake of altering, but so that the mission would be furthered. Third, in this transition, pastors had to stop doing some of what they were doing. They had been trying to do it all and realized they couldn't. They had been trying to take care of all the benevolence and people were becoming overlooked. They were trying to do all the visiting and people weren't being visited. They were trying to care for all the sick and there were people who were sick who were not being paid attention to. So the realization was we can't do this all. There is so much on us that we have to come up with something else to assist us, to to keep us from being overburdened. This means that there were people in the church who were used to Peter and John visiting them who would now have Nicholas or Philip visiting them. As the church grew, the pastor's individual involvement in every individual life had to decrease simply because there were so many people coming. 
I think verse 5 is actually one of the greatest miracles in the book of Acts. Look at verse 5 with me. So they, they present this proposal to the congregation. The proposal pleased the whole company. They presented this change, this structural change, and the whole church was in agreement. Isn't that a miracle? For the whole church to be in 100% agreement. But I think it's a reminder that there are times when we may have to change how we do things simply to further the mission of the church. The, the congregation was so committed to the mission of the church that they welcomed changes to further the mission of the church. And those changes here in Acts 6 anyway, part of the reason was to keep pastors from becoming overburdened and deacons were a key part of that. Let me give you D. Another reason the office of deacon was instituted was to help pastors maintain proper priorities. To help pastors maintain proper priorities. In verse 2 and verse 4, we see some of what those priorities are. Verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In an effort to keep pastors from becoming overburdened, deacons existed in Acts 6, and I would suggest today as well, to help pastors maintain proper priorities. You say, what are these priorities? I think we see three primary things in the text. There's other things in Timothy, but three things in this text. First is leading. The problem that arose within the church was brought to the church leaders. It was brought to the apostles, not for the pastors to do everything, but to guide and provide leadership in what needed to be done. The deacons were established not just to meet and talk about the problem. They were established to be the solution for the problem. So pastors are to focus on leading. Second, pastors are to devote their time to the ministry of the Word. This includes preaching and teaching and discipling. That is the ministry of the Word. Anything in the life of our church that steals needed time away from the ministry of the Word should be viewed as a threat to the health of our ministry. Third, pastors are to be devoted to prayer. I think we saw that clearly in verse 2 and verse 4. They're to pray for the ministry of the church, for the members of the church, for the unsaved outside the church. They're to spend time in prayer. I think one of the things we have to be willing to do is to notice there's a lot of things that we, on our list of pastoral priorities, that's not included here. There's a lot of things sometimes pastors are expected to do that fall outside of these responsibilities. And not that those things are wrong or bad, but these things have to be the top priority. The ministry of the word, the ministry of prayer, providing leadership, that has to be the primary focus. And I'm going to show you why here in just a moment. But deacons exist in part to help the pastor maintain those priorities. In one way, one commentator said that deacons exist to do many of the things that fall outside of those priorities. There's one final thing I want to give you before we observe the Lord's table together. Here's what's interesting to me before I read and give you this last thing. So they, they, they see this need arising, and the pastors are trying to do it all. They realize they can't. Their things are falling through the cracks. People are being neglected. They say, we've got to do something about this. They change the structure. They institute the office of deacon, task them with this responsibility. It's a crucially important responsibility. And the question that you ask is if you stop in verse 5 or you stop in verse 6, is well, what was the result? I mean, wouldn't it be nice to know the result? I mean, how did it work out for them? Well, verse 7 gives us the answer. Look at verse 7. So the preaching about God flourished. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests even became obedient to the faith. This is the result. 
The mission of the church is further. That's the fifth reason the office of deacon was instituted, is to further the mission of the church. To further the mission of the church. The mission of the church was furthered through the office of deacon. See, see, we cannot disconnect what God has called us to do and what God has called us to be from the structure that we are to have. Deacons exist to help the church further its mission to take the gospel both locally and globally. See, there is a dire- I love how verse 7 begins. So the preaching about God flourished. Why? Here's what I think happened. As the apostles, as the pastors became more committed to the ministry of the word and more committed to prayer, God blessed the preaching of the word. I, I bet if I threw together an outline five minutes before the service started that you all would notice. Right? But if pastors are freed to focus on preparation to preach, the ministry of the word, and prayer, you know what I think will happen? I believe, verse 7, the preaching about God flourished. I believe the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So as a church, we have to understand God's given us a mission. As a church, we have to understand that everything we do either furthers that mission or it hinders that mission. There really is very little that's neutral. And so as we're looking at the life and the health of the church, we have to ask the questions, how can we further the mission? I mean, we have this gospel message, and and we believe as a church that Christ is coming again soon, right? Do you believe that Christ is coming again? And if we believe that, we're also a church that believes in the reality of heaven and the reality of hell, and that everyone on earth will spend eternity one of those two places. So as we ask the question, how can we further the mission of our church, we are doing so with the eternal perspective that says souls hang in the balance. And so everything we do as a church has to be viewed through that lens. Even even how we structure ourselves has to be viewed through the lens of how can we further the mission so that more people can know Christ, so that more lives can be changed, so so hearts can be transformed. How can we see more people saved and more people baptized? See, it's not just simply about a structure. It's really about this right here. And what we are saying is we want to structure ourselves in a biblical way and operate in a biblical way so that through the mission of the church, people can know about the sacrifice of Christ. We want people to know about the death of Christ and how God loves everyone and sent Christ to die so that they could have salvation if they accepted the free gift. And if we are not furthering this, I mean, if all this, is right here is something we do once a quarter because it's on our church calendar, then we are missing the whole point of why we exist. We exist to introduce people to Jesus. This next week, we'll have a lot of people here. I think I added up this morning where we currently are at Counting Workers and Kids, 312. Won't that sound like fun? But you know what? We're not doing that just for the sake of doing it. Ultimately, it comes back to we want people to know Jesus. We want people to know him. And those who do know him, we want them to grow in that relationship. In just a minute, our deacons are going to do exactly what we talked about. They're they're going to serve these elements to you. 
But before we do that, I want us to have a time of prayer. We're not going to sing this morning. I just want you to remain seated where you are. And I want you to do two things. First, I want you to pray and thank God for our deacons. If you don't know who they are, just look here at the front row. These are some of them. Other ones were here in the early service and served communion there. But thank God for these men and pray for these men. The health of our church, I believe, in large part, is contingent upon them. So pray for them. Thank God for them. But two, understand that we care about the office of deacon and the offices within the church because how we structure ourselves furthers our mission or it hinders our mission. And as you think about that and you're thinking about the elements that we're about to receive together, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that we are to examine ourselves. And so as you pray for our deacons, you thank God for our deacons, then take some time and look at your own heart. And if there's any sin in your own heart, sin in your own life, confess that because we do not want to partake of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. So let me invite you where we are. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. I'm going to pause in the middle of it, give us some time for silent prayer, and then I'll close us, and then we'll observe the Lord's table together. We bow with it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.